How's it going, everybody? My name is Christian Wagner, and I'm the Militant Thomist. So this uh, beautiful Friday afternoon, I don't know how it is near you guys, but uh, in North Carolina here, it's just a beautiful day in the mid-60s on this glorious February afternoon. So uh, I will be going over um, Jake the Muslim Metaphysician's video uh on the logical problem of the incarnation and i'll be providing some responses and some uh, feedback to a few of his arguments now i want to reiterate what i said last week and to say that i greatly respect jake for for stepping into the shoes of a different religion and attempting to provide a um, argument against that religion that is a very difficult task I am not up for that task. I, um, I'm not too much of an apologist. I just, I'm, I'm a dogmatician and I defend the Catholic faith from arguments against it, but I not necessarily um, step out of those boundaries and argue against different religions. So that is a very difficult thing. And I don't want any of you to uh, harass Jake in any way because it's a very respectful um thing that he's doing and i do think that he treated it in uh in good faith so um that's all the pr preliminaries um if you haven't seen the part one to this i go over a different video and i provide for the first 45 minutes hour um i provide a positive presentation of the christian view of the incarnation that's able to um clear up some misconceptions that i believe jake has from from reading um modern evangelical scholars that aren't too good and don't understand the breadth of the Catholic tradition when it comes to especially the definition of what it means to be a hypostasis. Okay, so let's get right into it. I'm going to share my screen and we get right into it. So also for those um, that are watching live, I will have three more streams tonight. This is one of three. So I'm a glutton for punishment tonight. I uh, I just have so many things that I wanted to do. And then tonight's really my first opportunity to have the time to do it. So that's going to be fun or not. Um, and if you're watching in the future, uh, I will probably have more videos on this topic. Um, I'll create a, uh, what's it called? A um, playlist for this. So you can find all those videos there. Okay, let's get right into it, and I'll need, oop, not pin, great, unmute, unmute site, I'll need some confirmation that audio is coming through once I start the video. Okay, and there's a question real quick before. Justin the Catholic asks, do you still hold the validity of Anglican orders? Um, in a qualified sense, yes. It's depending on whether you're talking about validity of Anglican orders in the late 19th century, and that would be no, but uh, ever since in the 20th century with the infusion of old Catholic orders, I would hold to the validity of almost all Anglican orders in the United States, most in England, and then throughout the rest of the world, it gets kind of fuzzy, and it, it really is on a case-by-case -case basis. Okay, and then I'll also be taking a few questions if they're, uh, if they're relevant, because I do have a lot of streams tonight, so um, 
I don't want to get behind on time and such. So let's get right into it. Go full screen. Okay. And I'll put this on one and a half speed. So if you are listening on two times speed later, this is going to be a wild ride that we're going to start. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back. I'm the Muslim metaphysician. And today I'm here to talk to you guys about the logical problem of the incarnation. Now, I know with my last video that I posted on the logical problem of the Trinity, some people were honestly a bit confused about my video. And to be clear, I will be uh, at a later time responding to some of his arguments against the Trinity. Right now, I'm just focusing on the incarnation. That video was not meant as a refutation of Christianity or even on the logical problem of the Trinity was not meant as a refutation of the Trinity itself. It merely was a description of what the problem actually is. And then going forward, I will be taking a look at some proposed solutions by Christian philosophers to the logical problem of the Trinity. Now, it's going to be the same way here, folks. This is not a refutation of the doctrine of the Incarnation. It is merely a example or description of what the logical problem of the Incarnation is. Okay, so I... So I couldn't find um, the part three to this of the logical problem of the incarnation. So this is the video that I'll be uh, responding to. Um, so if I do eventually find part three, I will respond to that one too. But we need to make it clear that this isn't where he's uh, examining some of the solutions. So the solutions that I'm giving will be uh, purely mine. And if he does respond to them in a different video, then I will uh, provide a counter response to that. I want you guys to really understand that Muslim, Christian, or otherwise alike. Okay, so my goal for this video is to familiarize the audience with the description of what the actual logical problem of the incarnation is. Okay, as long as we're clear on that, we shouldn't have any problems. The reason why is this is going to be a part of my series on the incarnation called Investigating the Incarnation. Now, in the previous video I posted was a description of what the doctrine of the incarnation is. In this video, I'm going to be explaining what the logical problem of the incarnation is that falls out of the doctrine. Okay, and then in future videos after this one, I'm going to be going through possible solutions to the problem and analyzing them for their potential strengths and weaknesses at resolving the problem. Now, like I said, in the previous video, I briefly explained what the incarnation is. So if you haven't watched that yet, I suggest you pause the video, go back and watch the video on the incarnation, and then resume here where you left off so that you'll have an understanding of what the doctrine is if you don't already. Brothers and sisters, this is Sorry urgent. I am standing in front of the masjid for the largest Islamic center in New York. Okay, so there's an important issue that I have to address before I explain what the doctrine of the incarnation uh, or what the logical problem of the incarnation is. And that issue is the difference between mystery and a logical contradiction. Now, Christians frequently appeal to mystery when these logical problems are presented. But what they have to understand is that there's a difference between a mystery and a logical uh, contradiction. And this is something very important that uh, we all need to, to get to get in our minds before we do investigate on this, because an appeal to mystery, while it is helpful, is only going to um, it. A, an appeal to mystery is uh, appealing to not what something is, but how it is. So, for example, if I uh, put forward God's divine simplicity and I, I give the definitions for that and such. And somebody asks me about uh, how how that is the case or certain mechanics of it. Um, I'm not going to be able to answer that because it is a profound mystery. But the what it is is still presented. So there's a sharp difference when it comes to the difference between a contradiction and a mystery. And I do think that his, uh, his presentation of uh, the difference is really good. Um, that we will see in a second. But 
to uh, clarify a logical contradiction is to say is to go against the principle of non-contradiction so to say that something is x and not x in the same mode and manner so for example if i said uh the cow is black and white that would not be a contradiction because it may be uh black in a certain sense like it might have black spots and then the uh other spots may be white. So in different senses, in different modes, in different manners, uh, you can say that it is black and white. But if I were to say the entire cow is black and the entire cow is white, that would be speaking in the same manner and that would be a, a contradiction. So we have to keep that sharp distinction before us when we, uh, when we investigate this. Now, ultimately, as Muslims or as a theist, I would agree with you that we cannot completely comprehend the nature of God. And there's always going to be an element of unknowability about God and his nature. However, any theological system that is meant to be taken seriously needs to seek to avoid contradictory statements about the divine. Okay, so when posed with accusations of contradictions, believers should at minimum seek to alleviate the contradictions by proposing something that is logically possible. Now, it doesn't have to be actually the case and explaining exactly how God is, but you must either show why the quote-unquote logical problem isn't a logical problem to begin with, or say, well, it looks like a logical problem, and it is, but here's the solution to it. That's what you have to do. You can't just appeal to mystery because mystery doesn't actually solve the problem. The issue is not what we don't know about God. It's statements that you do know about God and that you are claiming that what appear to result in a logical contradiction. And by logical contradiction, I mean something that is impossible, like a square circle or a married bachelor. Okay, so now that we've got that out of the way, what actually is the logical problem of the incarnation? Uh, what I'm going to explain to you guys is very simple if you just pay close attention and listen. Okay, so this is a legitimate problem. It is not an issue that is brought up or raised by skeptics. Okay, so I'm going to show that this is not Jake as a Muslim or a skeptic that is simply proposing what this logical problem of the incarnation is. I'm going to give two quotes from two well-known theologians um, of the 20th and 21st century on the incarnation that are going to get us kickstarted about what the logical problem of the Trinity, uh, sorry, about what the logical problem of the incarnation actually is. And I think um, a big problem that we're going to be uh, running into going forward is the fact that these are evangelical scholars of the 20th and 21st century. I don't really put much stock in them because, for one, they are, they're not Catholics, which is it's very important. I mean, you can read non-Catholics. That's completely fine. I happen to have a... Um, a great appreciation for many, for example, Anglican authors as a former Anglican and as somebody in the ordinariate. So that's not an issue at all. But the issue is um, the way in which these scholars go about it. Um, for example, William Lane Craig, he's a Christological heretic. And, um, and a lot of these other scholars also fall into various heresies um, in their descriptions of the incarnation because they don't really understand the uh, the Catholic tradition that is especially formulated um, in the scholastic authors, such as uh, I've, I've been reading some John Dunn Scotus on the incarnation. It's really good stuff, especially St. Thomas Aquinas and his disciples and commenters and others. So um, I, I want you to keep that in mind that you're speaking on two completely different planes because a lot of these uh, evangelical scholars don't even get the the basics of what a person is and what a nature is correct. So that's going to provide some difficulty in um, in our dialogue with Muslims because they're not reading the uh, the best of the best or even those that are within the scope of orthodoxy, um, at least. 
So according to the theologian Herbert Maurice Relton, he says, and I quote, the person of Christ is the bankruptcy of logic. Okay, this is not Jake. This is a Christian theologian saying that the person of Christ, speaking about the incarnation, is the bankruptcy of logic. And I don't think that's a really historical view of of the incarnation, because because really uh, the the relationship between um, logic and, and reason and faith is one of completion. So while um, certain objects of faith may be above the grasping of reason when properly understood they are the complete totality of the perfection of reason uh grace perfects nature grace does not destroy nature and the the, the catholic tradition has in in wholesale um affirmed this there there were some in the medieval uh church who did have problematic views of faith and reason which were taken from some muslim scholars and i'm using uh, that term muslim very loosely uh the more like arab adjacent scholars who claim to be muslim because i'm pretty sure a lot of a lot of these authors were condemned um but the catholic tradition as as, as a wholesale would, would would not be comfortable with this language of the incarnation bankrupting logic Okay. Now, some of the most brilliant minds have struggled to understand the unity of two complete natures in a single person of Christ. Okay. Some of the most brilliant minds, even as Christians, have struggled to understand this. William Lane Craig, who's a contemporary Christian analytic philosopher, had this to say about the incarnation. And I quote, but if anything appears to be a contradiction, surely this is it. How can Jesus be both God and man, infinite and finite, creator and creature? How can we unite in a single person, both omniscience and ignorance, omnipotence and weakness, moral perfection, and moral perfectibility. The attributes of deity seem to drive out the attributes of humanity so that it seems logically inconsistent to affirm with the historic Christian church that Jesus is truly God and truly man. Now, these are two Christians telling you what the problem is. The first told you that the person of Christ is the bankruptcy of logic, and the second, William Lane Craig, is clearly explaining what the actual contradiction or what seems to be the logical problem of the incarnation actually is. And Craig is a bit of a rationalist, and he definitely on this issue is heretical. Uh, there's there's no question about it. He's a monothelite. Uh, he calls himself a neo-Polinarian. That's just silliness, utter silliness on Craig's part to even predicate himself the heresy of uh, Apollinarianism, even if he's calling himself a neo-Polinarian. So um, I don't put much stock, but... It, in, in essence, the solution to Craig's problem is the communicatio idiomatum, um, the communication of idioms that uh, we predicate the the attributes of both natures to the single subject, but um, the predication isn't um, confused. So, for example, and this is a very uh, th this analogy shouldn't be taken too far, but uh, in order to illustrate, uh, let's say. I said, um, I am injured and I had hurt my foot. So really, uh, properly speaking, my entire, while, while the subject of my person is injured, my entire nature isn't injured. My, my, the substance of my soul isn't injured. It's really only me being injured according to my foot. So you can have this predication um, of, of certain attributes to, to each one of the natures without sundering apart the, the unity of the person. If you're being very clear that you're predicating 
both of these sets of attributes to the single subject, that is the hypostasis of the second person of the Trinity. So from this, we can see that this is not a problem suggested merely by skeptics. Rather, it has always been an issue that Christian theologians have recognized and at least sought to rationalize. So the problem out arises out of the expression that Christ was truly God or fully God and truly or fully man. In other words, he was one person with two complete natures, divine and human. Why is this problematic, someone might ask? Well, just as a quote from William Lane Craig expresses, the idea is that typically we understand divinity or what it means to be God to entail certain necessary attributes. And some of these attributes are things like omniscience, omnipotence, omnibenevolence, eternality, aseity, immutability. If you want to eat healthy and feel your best, you've oh, got yeah. to try cachava. Cachava try is lifting. the world's healthy. Etc. Anything that does not possess these attributes typically is understood not to be God. You can't be God unless you possess these attributes. That's the idea. On the other hand, human beings possess certain attributes that are essential for humanity. Things like being weak. And, and, um. I, I want to I want you to notice that there's a bit of an equivocation going on here. So um, I'm not uh, imputing any malice to Jake, but um, when he talks about what it means to be God, he's talking about the proper predicates of the divine nature. These sets of attributes are predicated um, according to the divine nature, and um, outside of the incarnation, it would be correct to say that. This is also the only proper predicates of the divine person. But since there's been the addition of a human nature in the hypostasis of the second person of the Trinity, it is also proper to predicate ignorance, well, not a relative ignorance to the person of the second person of the Trinity. So we can say God was ignorant, or we can say God was weak, or we can say God died, because the second person of the Trinity has taken on another uh, nature, which is the human nature, to where we predicate to the subject of the second person of the Trinity, these attributes of humanity. And that's what it means to say that the word became flesh and dwelt among us or limited in power, being ignorant or limited in knowledge, being bound by time, subject to change, dependent, etc. Now, these attributes that are essential to divinity and humanity seem to contradict one another. However, the doctrine of the incarnation tells us that Christ was a single person with both sets of attributes. The claim is that a single individual cannot be both omniscient and ignorant and weak and omnipotent at the same time, changeless and yet subject, subject to change, etc. So the incarnation entails that a single subject or person possesses contradictory attributes and is therefore logically incoherent. No, 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 no. We agreed um, in the beginning in defining what a contradiction was, that a contradiction was to say that something is and is not in the same manner. That's going to be very important, in the same manner. So we, while we say that the single subject of the second person of the Trinity is, for example, um, omnipotent and weak, we're not saying that Christ is omnipotent and weak in the same manner. We're saying that according to the nature of his humanity, he is weak. According to the nature of his divinity, he is omnipotent, or to use strictly biblical language, according to the form of man, he is weak. According to the form of God, he is omnipotent. So notice this dual predication to the single subject is necessary for understanding this. And let's go back to 
our cow analogy. We wouldn't say that it was a contradiction to say that that cow is both white and black if in one way we're talking about his black spots and the other way we're talking about his white spots. So this there's no contradiction here because we're talking about in two different manners predicated according to two different natures but to the same subject. So I want you guys to understand that. And this is why um, in traditional Christology, in Catholic Christology, we affirm um, the completeness of the two natures. Because, for example, if we said he was ignorant in his divine mind, that would be predicated um, according in, in, in the same way. Because you can't say that a certain mind has the attribute of omniscience and then also of relative ignorance. That would be a solid contradiction. But when we say that each nature has its proper um, its proper intellect, then we are able to predicate it duly to the same subject. And notice we have that unity and duality, very held intention, but they're both held. This is the claim. This is what the logical problem of the incarnation actually is. So now on the board behind me, guys, I have an explanation of what I've just explained in diagram format. And I'm going to go up to the board and briefly show you what exactly I mean here. So we have here the logical problem of the incarnation. All right, folks. Now, the person of Christ, who is the person of the Christ? Right here, I have a circle with a line going down the middle. Now, I know it's a crude example, and some Christians may not be happy with the actual diagram. That's okay. That's fine. It's just meant very in a crude manner to show what I mean here by what the person of Christ is and what appears to be a contradiction. All right? So what appears to be a contradiction, guys, is the idea that Christ, the person of Christ, is this big circle. Now, going down the middle, we have a separation of the two natures, the divine nature and the human nature. In the divine nature, we have properties or attributes like omniscience, omnipotence, changelessness, eternality. And in the human nature, on the other side, we have polar opposite uh, attributes like ignorance, weakness, subject, subject to change, and are created. Now, here's a key point that we have to know. The only person or subject is Christ, which is this bubble as a whole. There's not two persons. This is not a person. This is not a person. The person refers to the totality, okay? All attributes in both categories, both in the divine nature and the human nature, okay, are predicated of the person of Christ, which is this whole bubble. So now this is the contradiction. How could one person, the person of Christ, be both omniscient and ignorant at the same time, be both omnipotent and weak at the same time, be both changeless and also subject to change, be both eternal and created at the same time? So I want you to, because a, um, a very solid analogy with a lot of the similitudes, so don't take this analogy too far, of the incarnation has been the relationship of human nature to the two substances of man, which is the body and the soul. So would it be a contradiction to say that I am material and immaterial? Well, it depends on what you mean. If I'm saying that I am material according to my flesh, then that is correct. If I'm saying that I am immaterial according to my soul, again, that is correct. But if I said that my flesh was both immaterial and material, that would be incorrect. Because, because notice, we are predicating it in different ways, but it's still to the same subject that is me. So if that's a helpful analogy for you guys to understand this, think of it in the same way in which I would have my hypostasis and then also the two substances that make up a man. And I'm going to check the chat real quick to see if there's any questions. Okay.
do you have a video on the validity of Anglican orders? Well, <laughs> good for you. Um, good for you, Justin, the Catholic. I actually have a uh, debate with uh, Original Wind Productions, who's also in the chat. So uh, I made a playlist to that debate. But remember, that was made when I was still an Anglican. So there are some things in which I wouldn't hold to that I said. But I do hold the position of Anglicanorum Chedibus, no, not Anglicanorum Chedibus, Apostolic Curie um, in Argumentum. So uh, a lot of what I said would be valid to my current position. Okay, let's get back to the video. That's what the apparent contradiction is with, um, at least on one level of what the uh, contradiction is with the incarnation or its logical incoherence. Now, there's another per, uh, problem that is directly related to this, and that is this uh, scriptural consideration regarding this issue. So it's basically the same issue, uh, but it's moving out of strictly a philosophical paradigm and pointing to scripture to back up the claims that are being made here, just in case you want to deny either attributes of God or attributes of man and the fact that they are polar opposite in many cases. So, for example... Um, I call a solution to the logical problem of the incarnation uh, cannot be merely to solve it philosophically or purely on a philosophical level. You must account for the relevant scriptures, which at times seem to only exacerbate the issue on the board that I just explained and also what William Lane Craig expressed. For example, the Bible says that God is omniscient. See 1 John 3.20. Also in Psalm 139.4, it also seems to say that God is omniscient. If Christ is truly God, then he must be omniscient. But the Bible... Notice the equivocation going on here. I want you guys to, to catch on to this. There's an equivocation being made between the hype, what properties the hypostasis of the second person of the Trinity might have if it takes upon a second nature and the properties which are uh, proper to the divine nature. So notice. So to say that the divine nature is omniscient, that is no contradiction to saying that the hypostasis may take on a second nature, which is not omniscient. Although we may still say that um, that God is ignorant, but God is only ignorant according to his humanity. While according to the divine nature, which these texts are speaking of, he is still omniscient. So I want you to notice that there's a bit of an equivocation going on here with the word God. Bible also says that man is inherently ignorant of certain facts. See Proverbs 27.1, Ephesians 4.18, Romans 10.3, etc. So if Christ is said to be truly human, then he must be ignorant of certain facts. Now, these attributes, as I said, seem to contradict one another. Christ does indeed seem to be ignorant of certain facts, such as his second coming or when the hour or judgment day is going to be. See, for example, in Matthew 24.36 or Mark 13.32, etc. Now, Christ is also said to have grown in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Now, that you can find in Luke 252. So again, how can a single individual be both omniscient and ignorant of certain facts? That's again, 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 that's like saying, how can you be both material and immaterial? Well, we're speaking of those two predicates in different manners. I am material according to my body. I'm immaterial according to my soul. Because in language, we are allowed to predicate different attributes in different manners to a certain subject. And it's the same way in the linguistic predicates that we have of the God-man. The problem is the same, as I've noted on the board, except now we are applying this concept to specific biblical texts. 
we can do the same thing with other attributes typical of divinity and humanity. Uh, it's not only with omniscience and show in scripture that Christ, a single individual, possessed two sets of seemingly contradictory attributes. Now, one of the most common apologetic responses to this problem is something known as reduplicative predication or the qua move. Okay, this refers to the idea that Christ was omniscient with respect to his divine nature, or Christ was ignorant with respect to his human nature. Now you can see this way, you can speak this way and apply the attributes to respective natures, okay? I only bring this up as a possible solution to demonstrate that I'm familiar with it. I will, however, examine this in future detail to see whether or not it's a viable solution to the problem. Okay, so I'm not saying whether it is or it isn't at this point. I'm just saying that this is a frequent response because I don't... Yes, and um, and I can't find that video where he, he does do that. If any of you could send it to me, I would, I would be much appreciated. Or Jake, if you're watching now, then I would love to... Uh... I'd love to see you uh, send that to me so I can review it. But what I think you're going to say, if I can anticipate your objection, is that, oh, sorry, if um, we predicate according to the natures, then we're making the nature subjects. And that's not necessarily true in the same way that I don't make the substance of my soul a subject of predication when I say that I am immaterial according to my soul. So a predication according to a certain manner of existence is allowed. That is allowed. And we see it um, in the natural world um, according to the various objects that we encounter in, in, our, um, in our everyday life. I don't want Christians to get all out of whack if I don't mention this in a purely descriptive video, mind you. Now, the other problem is um, another logical problem of the incarnation is what I personally have dubbed the two-person or no-person dilemma. Now, and I cover this in the other video if you want me if you want to see it uh, refuted in a different manner. But I'm going to say about what I said in the last video. What is the two-person or no-person dilemma? Well, it's uh, basically a subset of what I explained before. One can attribute certain properties to each particular nature, meaning, as I did before, you can say that the divine nature possesses omniscience and the human nature possesses ignorance. And that way, you can attribute certain properties to each particular nature. But that only answers what has these properties. It does not answer who has these properties. So if I ask who possesses these attributes... God. Or who is the subject of ignorance in Mark... God. 13.32, or who is the subject of the weeping in John 11.35... God. And notice that when I say God, I am referring to the uh, the subject that is the hypostasis. I'm not referring to the divine nature. What is the answer? Well, I'm going to go on the board and explain to you in a diagram form, which I have on the other side of my board, um, in more detail what the problem actually is. But I'm just going to say preliminarily, and then I'll go and demonstrate it. It cannot be the divine son because God cannot be ignorant. Or the divine nature cannot be ignorant. Again, the answer is going to be the divine son if you are if you are speaking of orthodox christians and if you read uh saint cyril's um work on the unity of christ or um in older translations the one by eb pusey it's called um that christ is one if you read it you're going to see that the crux of the debate surrounding uh nestorius versus saint cyril uh, surrounding the third council of Ephesus is going to be this question of who is the mother of God and why is the question of who is the mother of God uh, important, whether our lady is the mother of God or not. Well, the reason that it's important is it's a question of um, whether Christ, according to his humanity, um, that can be predicated to a single subject, as St. Cyril said, 
or whether it can be or whether it is predicated to suit two subjects, as uh, Nestorius said. So uh, reading a little bit around that era, another uh, one is Leonetius of Byzantium. If you can see that, that is a this is basically uh, the first scholastic work well, properly so speaking, scholastic work done on the incarnation. And it's very important because it goes against uh, both the Monophysites and the Nestorians to provide these very important scholastic distinctions and to respond to a lot of the arguments that uh, Muslims bring up. But also, even better, it provides a response to arguments they don't even bring up. So it really helps you think through the logic of the incarnation. So St. Cyril and the tradition is going to be very comfortable with saying that God died, that God became a baby, that God became man, that God was weak, that, um, that God was finite. And these certain things, because it is predicating that the subject of the person, not necessarily predicating that according to the divine nature that that person had, but according to the human nature that he had assumed. So very, very important because that is the answer we will give every single time. And if you bring up those texts in the Bible where it talks about God being omniscient, we will always respond that that is talking about the divine nature, which ordinary, which ordinarily is the sole predicate of the divine person. But in the case of the incarnation, where the the single subject of the divine hypostasis takes on the second nature, which is the um, the flesh uh, of Christ, then we can say that um, God is ignorant and, and relatively ignorant. I want to make that very clear because I'm not an agnoite heretic, but relatively ignorant subject to change so you can't you can't attribute it to uh the divine nature it cannot be the human nature. oh notice the equivocation he switches from according to god to according to the divine nature we do not predicate it according to the divine nature i want to make that very clear sure because that would entail nestorianism which is the heresy that christ was two persons a divine person and a human person on the other i'm just going to say preliminarily and then i'll go and demonstrate it it cannot be the divine son because god cannot be ignorant or subject to change so you can't you can't attribute it to uh, the divine nature. It cannot be the human nature because that would entail Nestorianism, which is the heresy that Christ was two persons. Notice it is both the first question. It's the answer to the first. Um, it's it's the first and the second because we are predicating it to the divine son. And we are also predicating it according to the human nature. And this does not entail Nestorianism because Nestorius was saying that there was two subjects, but which is the the uh he would use the term prosopon um but the or or face um he would be saying that there is this one subject of predication which is the man jesus and there's the second subject of predication which is the logos and we say that the uh that that these subjects of predication are not one but they are two so you say that this happened to the man jesus and this happened to the god word and now notice this this is exactly why we we um, focus so much on the term Theotokos, which is uh, mother of God, because what Nestorius would say is, no, she is Christotokos, um, mother of Christ, because she, uh, the subject of his human birth, as he would say, was not God, but was that man, Jesus. But we would say that the subject is the hypostasis, the second person, the Trinity, wherein he assumed a human nature. So we would say that God was born according to his humanity. Very important.
So it's really both one and two, but we need to distinguish on two. A divine person and a human person on the other hand. Then it seems that no person is the subject of ignorance or, or weeping. And surely there must be a subject of the action or the thought of being ignorant or weeping. So that position that there's no subject of these actions to attribute to is almost unintelligible. I mean, we can't even make sense of what that would mean. So uh, I'm going to go now on the board and show you what the four options are for answering who is the subject of the ignorance or the weeping and not. And notice who, who versus what. The question of who is asking what is the person. And we would answer that um, the who is God, the second person of the Trinity. And now when you ask what, uh, which could could be referenced to either the substance or the nature, in regard to the nature, we would say that it is the human nature that is, um, that is ignorant. Or uh, specifically talking about substance, we would say that the intellect or soul is the substance in which is predicated that attribute of ignorance, since ignorance would be in the intellect. So very important distinction between who and what. Uh, what? So it can't be a nature. And I'm going to demonstrate this on the board for you guys right now. Did you know that you can make a full-time income from YouTube without ever trying to grow your own channel? Bro, it's true. tell me Back how. in 2020. Okay, guys. So who is ignorant? That's the question. Now, the key thing to point, keep in mind is who, not what. And now, my Christian friends, um, you're very well aware of the distinction between who and what, because that's something we brought up in the Trinity, that the Trinity is supposedly one what and three who's. So even you are making the distinction. And now that's what I'm doing. The question is, who is ignorant? Not so notice the question is about the hypostasis. So we would say it would be God. What is ignorant? Now, as we've seen in Matthew 24, 36. And we can't. And the 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 two subject question is a complete non-starter, because if you want to be very technical and go into a bit of later Christological distinctions, the human nature is what's called an hypostatic in itself. The human nature is dependent, not independent, because um, according a, a very uh, important um, definition that I got from SCOTUS is that when we're talking about the difference between a individual nature which christ would have and an individualized nature would be the difference between dependence and independence so the the divine nature hypostasized in in the hypostasis of god is an independent nature it does not need anything for its concrete existence but the human nature is dependent it's dependent upon its hypostasization because it's what's called anhypostatic in the second person of the Trinity. And it's what's called enhypostasized or enhypostatic in that it, it has its hypostatic existence in the second person of the Trinity. So the who can never be the human nature, but we can say the what is according to the human nature. So it's God according to his humanity. Mark 13, 32, etc. Christ was ignorant at minimum of certain facts, not to say that he didn't have some uh, knowledge of some unique knowledge that humans don't have typically, but he was ignorant at minimum of uh, QC things. And I would I would dispute the exegesis, but uh, just for uh, a working um, argument, I will will concede that he uh, has a relative ignorance, which is um, less than the complete omniscience of the divinity. Like not knowing when the second coming was. 
Now, we have four potential candidates for answering this who is ignorant question. The first one is something I went over. We could say no subject. So we could say there's no answer to this. Yeah, that's that would be a dumb answer. No subject. I agree with you. Two problem. Now, what's the problem with that is, I mean, it's literally unintelligible, folks. If we don't attribute a subject to these actions, then we can't even understand what what we're talking about here. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Now, the second option of who is ignorant is you could say it's the human nature. Now, what's the problem with saying that answering the who question with the human nature is because then you're attributing the subject to the human nature. Again, that would be, uh, you're, you're right. That would be Nestorianism if you made the human nature a subject. But if you said that the second person of the Trinity is the subject according to his human nature, then that would be completely fine because you can have a dual predication with a single subjectivity. And that's the heresy known as Nestorianism. Okay. Nestorianism is the idea that there was a human son, okay, which was a person, and a divine son, two persons. This was deemed absolutely heretical. So you cannot, uh, you can't say that it was unintelligible because that doesn't make sense. You can't say it was a human nature because that results in Nestorianism. Now, let's check out the other two live options that you could uh, typically go to. You could say it was the divine nature. Now, that's a bit bold. Um, you could say it was a divine nature, but what would that result in? That would result in Christ was not truly God because if Christ was ignorant of certain facts in terms of his divine nature— and omniscience is a necessary attribute for God, then Christ couldn't be said to be truly God. Correct. This would be what's called the canonic heresy. And a good work on that, if you guys are interested, is uh, Francis J. Hall and his uh, work called the canonic theory. So very important. Is you're right. If the if Christ's divinity was ignorant, then that would be heretical. It would be the canonic heresy. And that is not historically orthodox to say that Christ was not truly God. Um, so that's off the table. Now, what's the fourth and last option here? The fourth and last option, guys, is the person of Christ. I don't really like that language of the person of Christ, although it is admissible. Um, it would be more proper to say the person of God. Because notice you keep asking who, um, and who is a predicate of a certain individualized nature, or in uh, in brief language, a certain hypostasis. So it would probably be the person of God who has uh, a hum human nature and a divine nature. Which was what the large circle around the board that I went over last time. So you could say that it's the person of Christ. Now, what's the problem with that? Problem with that is it's contradictory. Why? Because then it reverts back to the same problem I brought up before, that the person of Christ was then both omniscient and, omniscient and ignorant. Omniscient and ignorant in different senses. So notice, I think this all goes back to what I was initially saying in the in the last response, is that he has wrongly um, defined what it means to be a person or what it means to be a hypostasis. He has wrongly defined that. He has gotten from certain uh, Christian scholars, um, and that's not to say anything against Jake, it's to say something against these scholars, that what it means to be a person is to be a independent, um, uh, self-reflexive thinking agent, um, and to have this intellectual independence um, and knowledge. And that is not a historical way to define personhood, which is clear because we would say that Christ had two minds, Christ had two wills, uh, and such. So actually, um, this this act of the intellect is properly uh, predicated to nature. Um, so uh, that, that's why he believes it to be contradictory. So we possess contradictory attributes on the level of the person of the whole. That would mean that the person of Christ was both omniscient and ignorant.
in different senses. At the same time. Now, this is what I've dubbed the two-person or no-person problem. Okay? Now, that's the second key problem of the logical uh, problem of the incarnation. Now, the last issue that one must consider is defining the key relevant terms that are used to describe what the incarnation is. The formulation at Chalcedon was that Christ was one person with two complete natures, human and divine. Now, what did these terms mean? We need working definitions of these terms in order to properly evaluate the claims of the incarnation. Part of the problem is coming up with a rig rigorous philosophical definition or metaphysical definition in which we can plug in these terms to a model of the incarnation and see whether or not it is coherent. Now, the key terms that are meant to be needed to be defined are obviously person and nature because you're saying Christ was one person with two complete natures. And if you want good definitions for these terms, um, Aquinas is really helpful. But I actually like, uh, because he um, he's a little bit later, so he's providing more of a synthesis. But Reginald, Gary Grew, Lagrange, um, he, he has a section where he defines in Christology and in Trinitarian theology what it mean, what we mean by person and nature, and not what a modern um, psychological psychological definition of person would be but the uh, historical definition of a person is completely different than um, what we mean by person in common parlance now um, part of the problem is that it's very difficult to come up with a definition of person that involves or is explained in terms of necessary and sufficient conditions now what do i mean by that if i say something is x typically how analytic philosophy works is that if something is x you explain what is necessary for it to be x and then what is sufficient for it to be x because something could be necessary and yet not sufficient but if it's sufficient then we can explain what the necessary things are as well you have to come up with a definition of what is necessary and sufficient in order for one to be a person so what is uh I I don't like these uh these distinctions made in analytic philosophy because that is not my um maybe I could get John Fisher because John Fisher uh is a little bit um more read in it and I think he I wonder if he's in the chat right now. So uh let me go back. So um when it comes to what is what is uh, necessary, um, I, I think it does come down to the to the question of ontological dependence um, that makes a person because dependent for um, a hypostasis, it, it, a nature is dependent upon a hypostasis. Um, and that goes back to SCOTUS. And there's a good article on on this, a journal article, and uh, I guess I can find it later and put it in the description. Okay, and that's very difficult for uh, Christian philosophers to do. Now, I'm not saying that it can't be done. I'm just explaining what a problem is with the incarnation. Now, the term nature is a bit easier to define. Um, regardless, we need a working definition of these terms to plug into a metaphysical system of the various models of the incarnation. And uh, that way, we would be able to analyze the models that are constructed by Christian philosophers in an attempt to offer possible solutions to the problem I've mentioned earlier. Now, uh, once again, I will be attempting to do this. Um, each authors that I take a look at or each philosophers and theologians that I take a look at will be evaluated based on their own definitions when we... Um... Uh -uh, don't skip this video. Do you remember Halima, the young girl I will who was kidnapped skip this video. and could have died in that dungeon? take a look at them. That's if they offer them. If they don't even offer a working definition of being a person in their system, well, then we'll just have to note that. Uh, but in many cases, those types of models will just be left alone and we won't even really take a look at them too much.
Now, so guys, in summary, I want to explain what the three main problems are with the doctrine of the incarnation, at least as far as I understand them. The first is the problem of a single individual possessing contradictory attributes at the same time. Okay. And in a different manner, it can be at the same time in a different manner. For example, I'm both material and immaterial at the same time, but in a different manner in that the substance of my soul is immaterial and the substance of my body is material. And a further add-on is that add-on to that is scriptural consideration, which only seems to exacerbate or complicate this issue even further. The second was a two-person or no-person dilemma. And the third was the issue of defining the key terms of nature and person and applying them to a model of the incarnation that doesn't result in contradictions. Now, remember, the two-person, no-person problem or dilemma was trying to solve which one of those four options you would select for these contradictory actions attributes or the attribute of ignorance. Who is ignorant? Was it to say no subject? Well, that's unintelligible. Was it to say that it was the human nature? Well, it can't be that because there was no human person in Christ. That would result in the heresy of Nestorianism. Was it the third option that it was a divine nature? Well, that would result in a heresy saying that Christ wasn't truly God if we understand omniscience to be a necessary attribute of God, and yet Christ didn't possess that. Or fourth, um, to say that, uh, what was the fourth option again that you have the contradictory problem. The person of Christ was both omniscient and ignorant at the same time. It reverts back to same time, different manner, but uh, I'm more comfortable with the person of God. The original problem that we set out to explain was that the person of Christ as whole is then um, predicated with two sets of contradictory attributes. Well, that seems to be problematic. Now, um, once again, in subsequent videos, I will be explaining and analyzing these proposed solutions to these problems and commenting on my findings, whether or not I think that they are viable solutions to the logical problem of the incarnation. Um, once again, folks, that's all for today. I hope that this was easy enough for you guys to understand. Okay, so that looks like it's done. So I'm going to take some questions. It has to be quick because I have another live stream at six. Okay. So Leonard's correct. God as man can grow in human experiment, experiential knowledge, and then also as his uh, as his capacity for knowledge grows. For example, the um, because we're not we, we don't say that Christ is uh, absolutely omniscient, but only relatively uh, relatively omniscient. So um, so the uh, the capacity of the intellect of a fetus is a lot different than the capacity of the intellect of a thirty year old man. So he had the greatest amount of knowledge that he could have according to the capacity of his intellect. Okay, so good question from, from John Fisher. So since the person of the son depends on the person of the father, does that make the son not a person? Uh, no, because uh, we, that would also... Uh, that, that would also make us not persons either because we're dependent on our existence Uh we're, we're dependent on God for our existence. What it's talking about is the dependence of, of the nature. So, um, so the, the nature being ontologically independent, uh, intrinsically rather than extrinsically, if that makes any sense. And I can also send you that, that journal article, John Fisher, if that didn't make any sense. Okay. And then John Fisher also explains sufficient conditions and necessary conditions. So sufficient conditions, things that are enough to say some particular is an example of a universal category, necessary conditions, things that are required to say if some particular is an example of a universal. Interesting. For example, the sufficient conditions to be a man is to be rational and social animal, whereas necessary conditions would be each one since anything missing one is not a man. Okay. 
yeah, I'm not really prepared to talk about analytic philosophy. I have no idea about that. Okay. So thank you for all being here. Uh, remember to tune in at six o'clock and I'll, we'll be having another stream and then another one at six 30 and another one at seven. So, uh, got a packed schedule. So, uh, thank you. Also remember, uh, please, 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 uh, if you haven't already, and I will keep, keep saying this till the day I die or the day I stop doing this, join the discord, uh, very important for you guys to be a member of the discord. Uh, that will also be, if you're watching later in the in the description of the video, then also become a patron, patreon.com slash if you would like to see extra articles and videos, and then also to help me out in my mission. And then remember that there, that I don't have tears like other people. I just uh, trust that you'll make a prudent decision based on, uh, based on your capacity. So while um, I do appreciate it, if you are a one, two, three, four dollar patron, uh, I, I really appreciate it. Uh, I would extra appreciated if it's more, although I'm grateful and truly humbled for any amount that you do decide to give because I work for you and, um, and I do not do this for my own glory or my own pleasure, certainly. So thank you all. And I will see you guys in a minute.